Hello and welcome to the MJ Cast, or more specifically, episode four of the MJ Cast. Uh, it is the fourth of April, twenty fifteen, and uh, it's just we're, we've got an incredibly exciting show lined up for you guys today. Uh, we're we're thrilled to to have Damien Shields on the show with us as co-host. Obviously, Q's Q's away at the moment in America, traveling through the states. He's uh, going to see MJ One, the Cirque du Soleil show in Las Vegas, uh, having a great time over there. And uh, yeah, very lucky to have Damien Damien with us on the show. Damien's actually a, a very close friend of mine. I've known Damien since he was, well, since we were teenagers, I should say. Uh, and he's he's obviously gone on to become one of the uh, most uh, prominent people within the Michael Jackson community today. Damien runs a, a brilliant Michael Jackson website that has some of the, the best uh, and most exclusive information on Michael Jackson's artistic process out there. Damien always covers the latest news and information on Michael's art. Uh, and also, uh, as you will know, Damien's just written and released a brand new book on Michael Jackson called Escape Origins, which actually covers uh, the recording process behind those songs that have been released on Michael's latest posthumous studio album called Escape. So, uh, Damien, how are you going? I'm good, thanks, Damien. How are you? Just brilliant, mate. Just so happy that you can be here on the show with us. Well, I couldn't be happier to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, just totally our pleasure. Uh, this is, I mean, this is something we've been talking about for a very long time, isn't it? I can remember having conversations with you years ago about the possibility of us doing a podcast together. Well, I know you've been talking about doing a podcast longer than I've been talking about doing one. It's been a, a long-time goal of yours, um, just sitting there dreaming about the microphones you can use and the, the quality that you can bring it to and to see it actually finally come together is absolutely fantastic. So congratulations, mate. Oh, thanks, Damien. And uh, I guess I have similar sentiments as well. I mean, I don't pretend to think that my that you know, Q and I's podcast is on the same level as, as what you do, but I definitely feel uh, the same way about your work. I mean, seeing DamienShields.com come to the level that it is now and, uh, you know, right from its very humble origins with, uh, I think, you know, the first article that I actually read of yours uh, <clears throat> that I actually thought, wow, this is just incredible, was probably the your Hold My Hand article. Oh, well, yeah, that was one of the first ones that I did. I think it was kind of just uh, testing the waters to see how I – actually write because I'd never really written in any kind of serious way before doing that article. Um, so it was just, yeah, testing the waters and piecing information together and seeing how it would all come together and how it could be presented and how people would react to it. So uh, it did get a good reaction. I think if it hadn't had such a, a good reaction, I, I might not have gone on to do others in the same kind of vein. But uh, thankfully, the fans, yeah, thought it was interesting and um, I can't really take too much credit for the article, though, because most of the info that I've used in there was just sourced from places where the info was already available. I just kind of put it all in the one place and kind of wove the narrative through there to, to tell the story of the song a little bit more. Yeah. You know, a lot of fans, like big, big, big Michael Jackson fans will have read individually each portion of that article as those pieces of information became available. So, you know, as Red One or Akon or Taj Jackson are making comments about the song, they're going to be kind of talking. Uh, they're going to be discussing that among each other on the fan sites. So in hindsight, I kind of went back and put them all together so that there was a reference place for people to go to and find the whole story. Yeah, um, and, and that's how I feel 
you know, in general, your your body of work is becoming, especially a website, it's really becoming this repository of uh, information that if anybody wants to learn about uh, an unreleased song or a song Michael Jackson worked on, I mean, one of the first places I know I go is DamienShields.com because, I mean, in my opinion, the level of journalism and, and uh, quality you're going to get when reading your work is just, uh, in my opinion, unparalleled. And uh, especially like when it comes to like as a historian, you know, I mean, as you know, a history teacher, and one of the most important things to me when when reading about the past is making sure that we're engaging with the words of the people that actually were involved in whatever we're studying, and that's the greatest thing about your work. If you know, especially with your latest uh, with your book, Escape Origins. If anybody's read that, they they will know that when you're reading it, it's uh it's written in a style where you are preferencing and foregrounding the very words of the people that worked on the songs you're talking about, which is incredible, I find. Well, the fact of the matter is that me as an individual, as a Michael Jackson fan, among all other Michael Jackson fans, have nothing to do with the stories of these songs. Um, (laughs) So I can't really do anything other than allow the people who were there in the moment to tell the story because... I had nothing to do with it and I have nothing to do really with the book either. It's just thanks to the generosity of the people who were willing to speak to me and tell me their stories um, that the book could even be possible. So, I mean, thank you to all the collaborators. They need to be given their, their props and given their thanks because it wouldn't have been possible without them. Um, I was just the guy who typed it up, basically. So, <laughs> uh, I think you need to give yourself a little bit more credit there. I know, I know what you're saying, but you also did. Uh, I mean, I, I've seen many iterations of this book in its journey to becoming its final product, and uh, you know, you have put a phenomenal amount of work into writing it, molding it, um, uh, shaping it, changing it as as it's evolved, and you know, it's been a tireless effort that you've been involved in for uh, you know a number of years now. So. Oh, thanks, Jamie. That's uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, look, we I think we should save a few of these stories though, because we've obviously we're going to have another episode coming up. Uh, it's going to be the Damien Shields special, uh, where we're going to get right into the to the uh, origins of Escape Origins. I should. Well, we'll call it the Escape Origins special because I'd also like to have my collaborative partner James Allay. Uh, on the show with me because I mean the book if you want to give me any credit for the book you also have to give equal amount of credit to James because it was from beginning to end a two-man operation Um, and James has literally done so much work on this project over the last nine months and it would legitimately not have been possible without him equally as it wouldn't have been possible without the collaborators that Michael worked with to tell the stories it wouldn't have been able to happen without James putting the whole thing together and bringing it out to the people. So we'll call it it the Escape Origin special, not the Damien Shield special, because it's really got nothing to do with me. And I almost feel embarrassed and kind of like, like I shouldn't be putting my name on this stuff because (laughs) it's, it's really just me who's delivering it to you. It's not me who's actually done any of the legwork. Okay, that's that's fair enough, and uh, we'll we'll go ahead and call it the Escape Origin special. And uh, listeners of the MJ Cast, just just keep an eye out because that that show is going to be coming out within the next few weeks. Uh, Damien and I have already been uh, talking about it and planning it, and we're going to uh, similarly to the Seal Mortilla special, which you can find on the MJCast.com, We're actually going to dive 
really, really deeply into the the background of the book and then Damien's writing pro, uh, process uh, and all the work James did as well around uh, getting the book out there and ready for people to buy. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the cover art. We're going to talk about all of the different quotes in the book and the stories behind the songs. Uh, it's going to be a great episode. So keep your eyes out. Uh, ready for the Escape Origins special, uh, which will be coming in the next few weeks. So let's get into our very first news item today, which is all about a topic that we discussed on episode two of the MJ cast around about a month ago. And it's, of course, all about the Detroit Mosaic Youth Center concerts that recently happened in Detroit uh, on, the Mar- on March 7th and March 8th. From all accounts, phenomenal shows. I've spoken with Rick Sperling, who is the artistic director of the shows, um, and he's actually told me that over 4,000 people ended up seeing the show over three days. Uh, 1,000 young people, uh, each student matinee, and then sold out public shows with 1,500 people at each. Uh, I've heard some of the uh, rehearsal audio. I've seen some video as well from the rehearsals. Uh, They put together some incredible numbers. Basically, Human Nature would have to be my favorite, and that's uh, something we're going to play a little bit later in the show for you guys to listen to. Uh, But they also did other incredible songs like Earth Song and They Don't Care About Us. And I don't know about you, Damien, but when when I watch this kind of footage and and when I engage with uh, tribute concerts of this nature that focus on live performance and uh, live live art, I, I don't know, it just gives me chills. This is the sort of thing where I watch it, I just am totally blown away. Uh, what, what do you think about this news? Well, first of all, I have to be honest and tell you I haven't watched the footage. So I can't really comment on the actual performances, but anybody who goes to the effort to, to tribute and honour Michael Jackson or Michael Jackson's family, um, I, you just have to thank them because without the people doing this, Michael's message will get lost in time. It's one of the most important things with messages and art of the nature of Michael Jackson is that the louder we can scream about it and the more people, more voices we have talking about it, the more widespread it's going to be. Um, And like you said, the numbers prove that that show was um, really, really popular in its local area with sellout shows in each, the matinee and the two main shows. Um, So beyond, you know, thinking that these shows are really fantastic for Michael's legacy and, you know, just important for people to be doing. Uh, I can't really comment too much on about the show individually, but yeah, I think it was, I think it's a great thing that these things are happening and I trust your opinion. I trust your judgment. If you think it's fantastic and you think the numbers are great, then I'm sure, I'm sure they are. Well, I tell you what, it's uh, after watching that human nature choral rendition, especially I've, uh, I have been listening to that over and over again for the past week in the car, just as I'm driving around town, and it's amazing. I knew, I know Q when he uh, listened to it for the first time. He he told me that within a minute he was crying <laughs> uh, while listening to the song, and it's just uh, a very very special thing. Uh, and uh, there's a part of me as well that just thinks like, I, I know we've got these these big amazing spectacular uh, shows that are being put on by you know the estate and Cirque du Soleil. Uh, that are doing incredibly well, especially the Immortal World Tour, which has broken a number of records. But I find, you know, I mean, as much as they are spectacles to watch, I feel like these kind of shows that things like the Detroit Mosaic Youth Centre are putting on, 
especially when they're done with quality like this one has. There's just something so raw and special about it that just, I don't know, it touches touches me in a way that I guess some things like the Cirque Show don't quite, but that's just me, I guess. Well, I guess we'll talk a little bit more about the Cirque Show in a few minutes when we get to the uh, the main portion of the, the MJ cast this week. Yeah, that's but, right. Uh, I, I do agree with you, definitely. Uh, next news item, and this is something you might be able to talk a little bit about in more detail because <laughs> it's about you, uh, is... Uh, <laughs> Uh, a very special book has come out called Escape Origins. Now, um, I know the book's done quite well already in its uh, first couple of weeks of sale, but I really want to make sure that our listeners uh, know exactly how to get it, where to get it, and also to kind of get it, uh, how to get it for the best value. Uh, so the book came out on March, I, was, I think it was roughly around March 19th. Was it Damien or? Uh, it came out a little earlier than we expected, actually. We had a, an article, a review was done in the Huffington Post um, by UK journalist Charles Thompson. We actually sent the book to a number of people uh, in the Michael Jackson fan community, very uh, diverse range of different fans to get a bunch of different opinions on it. Uh, Charles's came out first, which was, uh, yeah, like I said, the Huffington Post. Um, caught us a little bit off guard because we didn't expect it to go live that quickly. And I think that was about the 18th of... March, uh, and then it officially released on the 24th of March. Ah, 24th, okay, yeah. So the book's, the book's out there. How, how do people get it if they want to grab Escape Origins? Um, well, if you are a, a fan of Michael Jackson, you want to go directly to escapeorigins.com. That's obviously escape with an X. Um, we have a, a special uh, offer that's running for fans. It expires on the 7th of April, so... I'm not too sure when this episode goes to air, but the 7th of April is when that uh, offer expires and you can actually save 15% off. Mm. Um, it was really important for us to get the price as low as possible for fans all around the world. And to get that 15% off, you just have to enter the coupon code friend of mine in the little coupon code section. Um, and you apply the code before going to the checkout. And then when you arrive at the checkout, the code will be applied and you'll save that 15%. So, Make sure you uh, definitely apply that code to get it, the, the book as cheap as possible. We also have the book available on digital platforms. It's on iBooks, Kindle, and it's on Google Play as well. I didn't know you guys had it on Google Play. That's cool. It just came out a couple of days ago. We haven't even really mentioned it publicly yet, but, um, but it is out. It's just kind of snuck its way out onto Google Play. So Yeah, that's great. Uh, I've still got to buy my physical copy, I'll admit. I've got my digital one. I've been reading the Kindle version of it. Uh, but man, I, that physical book looks great. I want to get a copy just so I can hold it. It looks so good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we're really happy with it. And I've seen a few photos getting around as well of a little treat you get with the book as well if you buy a physical version. A little treat? Bookmark? Free yeah. bookmark and a little <laughs> a little note as well. <laughs> I didn't know about the note. I knew about the bookmark. Yeah. Well, we've, of what we've done is um, for anyone who buys it directly through the escapeorigins.com website, you get a a free bookmark um, and a little note from me. Um, I'm not sure how valuable the note from me is. I actually feel embarrassed to have even had to write one, but so many people were asking for it to be signed or to have some kind of message from me. I just We, we thought we'd uh, put that together and I actually wrote 500 notes here in Australia, uh, signed them all and uh, sent them over to America where the book is shipping from and they're included in every copy that's sent directly out via the escapeorigins.com website so awesome make sure you go to escapeorigins.com guys grab a copy of that book uh just i again i can't 
I can't underplay how much work Damien's put into this uh, through researching, uh, through writing it, and then also just the stories that are told in connection with these incredible songs are just something that you don't want to miss. You're going to learn about Michael artistically on a level that you couldn't any other way. So head on over to escapeorigins.com and grab your copy uh, as soon as you can. All right, that's enough, pl- that's enough plugging. Enough shameless plugging. <laughs> enough shameless on plugging. On with the show, Jamin. On with the show. <laughs> all right, let's get on to our next news item, which is all about 3T. Uh, this is something I'm incredibly excited about because I'm a huge fan of 3T. I love both of their albums, uh, Brotherhood and Identity. I've I've listened to them a bajillion times. Uh, I've loved 3T. I think, you know what? You know what? This is the first album I ever bought. This is pretty embarrassing here. My first album wasn't even a Michael Jackson album. It was one of those top 40 style hit albums in Australia called Hit Machine 14. And it had a 3T song on it. And man, did I play that thing to death. I love 3T. I've loved them ever since I was a teenager. And I'm so excited that they are going to be performing again for us in 2015 on June 26th in the Netherlands. What do you think about this, Damien? Oh, I'm really excited. I love the guys. I actually, actually know the guys personally. They're really wonderful people. Um, they work really hard on their artistry. They've done a lot of, they had taken a lot of time off working on their own personal stuff, which is a really selfless thing for them to have done, obviously, with the untimely death of Michael and then having to look after the kids and they've really put their whole entire careers on hold to uh, to help Michael's um, family so uh, it's nice to see them be able to be getting back to what they were doing before yeah uh, which is the art and which is why we all know who they are uh, it's not just because they're Michael Jackson's nephews or because they're Tito Jackson's kids it's because in their own right they are very very talented uh, artists um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to see them back on the stage. And I know, especially in Europe, they're hugely popular even still, even after not having put an album out for a very long period of time. So yeah. I'm really excited to see them back on stage and I wish them the best. Yeah, it's going to be great. I mean, I wish I could say more information, but when I load up the website that's promoting the, uh, I think it's actually like a music festival that they're performing at, uh, they're performing across two nights, I think on the 26th and the 27th uh, of of June, which uh, just happens to be my birthday, actually, 27th of June. If anybody wants to buy me a birthday present, tickets to see 3T, please. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but they are performing at this uh, at this music festival. The only problem is I don't know how to pronounce it because it's in the Netherlands and I'm not even going to try because I'll make a fool of myself. But we're going to put a link to the website in the show notes just in case any of our European listeners want to jump on there and grab tickets to see 3T. We'd love it if some of our listeners could head along to that show and then uh, report back to us how it was, what was it like seeing the seeing the guys live, so we can talk about it on the MJ cast. Uh, next news item, again, quite an important one. This is something that has gone not spoken about very much, I think, in the last couple of weeks, which um, bothers me a little bit because anything to do with Michael's art, I feel like it needs to be foregrounded in the community. But uh, Swedish film director, there is a Swedish film director doing a crowdfunding campaign to make a documentary about a uh, dance choreographer called Vincent Patterson. Now, this documentary is going to feature a lot of, uh, I guess, um, uh, information about Vincent Patterson and his work with Michael Jackson. He's actually worked a lot with Michael, including, uh, including... 
uh, really important videos uh, such as Smooth Criminal. He also worked on Black or White, The Way You Make Me Feel, Dirty Diana, Speed Demon. Uh, he helped choreograph The Bad Tour, uh, live performances such as the Super Bowl halftime show, and also, I believe, Blood on the Dance Floor. Yep. And what was the one we were talking about as well the other day, Damien? There was one that you said that you felt was really important. Um, it was something to do with MTV. Oh, the Will You Be There performance. Oh, right. Yeah, that's it. Phenomenal. Like, I mean, this guy has obviously just done so much with Michael. And I, I think it's a great thing that this uh, film director is wanting to create a documentary you know, feature film about him and his work. Uh, now, it's a crowdfunding campaign. Um, and, you know, there's still quite a long time to go. There's 26 days left of the campaign in total. It's on Indiegogo. Uh, so far, $5,980 has been raised. They do have quite a high target, though, of $100,000. Uh, but I think it's something that if, if the Michael Jackson fan community really gets behind and donates to, I think it's something that could become a reality. Now, the really important thing here is that uh, obviously with crowdfunding campaigns, there's like reward levels, there's tiers. And uh, the more money you actually give to the campaign, not only will you receive a, you know, a copy of the product that you're um, investing in, but you're also going to get a reward. So what's really interesting is if you give $1,000 to this campaign, which uh, sounds like a lot of money, but if you give $1,000 to it, you actually get to attend you gain entry to a private party. It's a private screening that the uh, director will be putting on. Uh, and it's actually got footage of Michael Jackson rehearsing. And I believe that this is never before seen footage as well. So if, if fans out there want to get behind something really positive, uh, celebrate Michael's art and see a documentary come out about one of the dance choreographers that really is an important person behind Michael Jackson's uh, career, Vincent Patterson, then you've got to check out this crowdfunding campaign called The Man Behind the Throne, which I imagine will be the title of the film as well, though I'm not quite sure. Uh, it's on Indiegogo. We're going to put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, and Damien, I think you're you're an important person to ask uh, about this because you've actually been involved in a crowdfunding campaign before, haven't you? I certainly have. The A Truth Untold campaign, which was uh, not funded, but still, in my opinion, I consider it a success and a very big learning uh, curve as well. Mm. Uh, crowdfunding campaigns are a really interesting beast because people, a lot of people kind of perceive them in a negative way based on the, the goal that people have with you know, how much money they need to execute their vision. Hmm. Um, so take, for example, uh, Vincent Patterson's goal of $100,000. And keep in mind, it's not Vincent's personal goal. That's it right. is the filmmaker who's making the documentary about him. Yeah. So um, we shouldn't attach any goals or uh, you know, like any of the details about this campaign. It shouldn't be personally attached to Vincent because it's a documentary about Vincent. That's right. The director's, um, name, the director's name is Kirsty uh, Brennan. Uh, and it's yeah, people don't understand sometimes the amount of money it costs to actually execute the vision, um, and people will kind of judge the whole thing by oh they want a hundred thousand dollars. Well, the reality is they're not asking you the individual for a hundred thousand dollars. They're saying you the individual can get behind this for five dollars or ten dollars or twenty dollars or however much the different levels are, and then for those levels you're going to get something back. So you're not even really donating. 
it's just the totality that is required to deliver the product that is the $100,000 mark, which seems like a big amount of money. But when in reality, when you're delivering rewards to hundreds and hundreds of people who are supporting it, you've got to actually make those rewards materialize. Yeah. And then you've got to actually make the film on top of that. Um, I think they've been quite conservative for that amount of money. And I, I really wish them the best of luck. Vincent Patterson is someone who really deserves a lot of attention and a lot of acclaim and a lot of uh, thanks from the Michael Jackson fan community for all the work he's done with and for Michael Jackson. Um, and as far as being a choreographer, um, it's a really difficult uh, situation to be in because it's, it's very much like being a producer or, a, you know, someone who works on a song with an artist. Well, Vincent will work on the dance routine for that song. But as far as his legacy and his earning capacity and his ability to be rewarded for the work that he's put in to make that dance routine come to life, um, these people aren't really in the dance community, aren't being rewarded the same way that songwriters and producers are being rewarded because there's no way to copyright dance, um, which I think there really needs to be. There absolutely needs to be a way to copyright it. So it's a movement that needs to happen and we need to make a way for it to happen because these guys will spend hours and hours and hours and weeks and months in the studio collaborating with an artist like Vincent did with Michael. For example, take Smooth Criminal, for example. The amount of time they put into coming up with these concepts and then having the artist perfect them and then have them executed. And we get to see them once in this video or once on a stage. And that those movements, those sequence of bodily movements are out there. And if anybody else wants to take those movements and apply them in their own show, there's absolutely no copyright grounds for for Vincent or any other choreographer to say, hey, like, I created that, now you've stolen it. Whereas a musician or an artist or a songwriter or a producer can say, hey, no, I created that music and that's therefore copyrighted. So um, beyond just being interested about Vincent's work with Michael and, you know, watching the unreleased footage of him rehearsing and all of that stuff, very interesting, great. But I think there needs to be a kind of a platform for these people to say who they are, what they've contributed um, so that at least even if they're not going to be financially rewarded for their incredible contributions to pop culture and dance and entertainment, that at least we can remember their names and know what they did because they're such behind-the-scenes people, so behind-the-scenes that the artist gets up and does it, all the credit goes to the artist, and then these people are often forgotten. And I, I just think that whatever we can do to make sure that the people behind the dance and like the documentary or the, the campaign is called the man behind the throne are known about. So I, I support this 100%. I think it's just an incredible initiative that the, uh, the director has uh, put together and I hope it, I hope it comes to life and I hope the fans will get behind it. Even if it's just $5 or whatever they can afford, if we all chip in, like Michael said, there's nothing that can't be done if we raise our voices one. And I definitely think this is a project that has extremely good merit and, um, yeah, I hope it comes to fruition. What do you reckon? I couldn't agree more. I think it's a incredible possibility. Like any chance that I get to learn more about Michael's art uh, and the artistic process and the collaborators and what they did with Michael, I jump at those opportunities. And I'm also a huge fan, as you know, of of documentaries. I love them. They're my favorite. Mm -hmm. They're my favorite medium. Like full stop in terms of engaging with historical information. Uh, 
because of the how rich they can be with um, you know film footage, obviously, and then music, and it's just incredible stuff that we can get through documentaries. I think you know, I mean, both of us have spoken at length about uh, the Cove, the documentary, the Cove, uh, and how much. That, oh yeah, that, I, mean, I watched it two days ago. <laughs> Again, <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, just just the way it goes into the you know the issue of um, you know animal rights and activism, and and just this this documentary has you know a similar has a similar possibility in being able to illuminate the Michael Jackson fan community on the artistic process behind some of those incredible, uh, you know, um, songs that Michael Jackson brought a visual element to as well. So it's Smooth Criminal, uh, the live performance of Will You Be There. I think you've spoken before about Will You Be There being your favorite song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I, I'd imagine that the dance is a part of that as well. Like when you watch it, whether it's in the Dangerous Tour or anything, it's just so poetic and beautiful uh, but it's very different than anything that michael had done before i think it's definitely stands on its own as a piece in its own kind of genre and its own kind of style yeah um but to answer your question no the, the dance has nothing to do with it being my <laughs> i just i just think the song on its own is so so damn powerful that i don't i don't think anything that michael has done quite compares to it yeah so I just hope this documentary comes out. I hope they get funded successfully. What it's going to take is the Michael Jackson fan community learning about it, funding it, and then also promoting it amongst each other. So if you are interested and you're a listener of the MJ cast, don't, don't just donate. Uh, make sure that you copy and paste that link to the Indiegogo uh, you know, crowdfunding site and just put it as many places as you can. Facebook, Twitter, that's how crowdfunding campaigns work. It's all about getting the not, news out there. And let's not call it a donation either because it's a pledge. Yeah. It's a pledge. You are pledging your money and you will be rewarded for your pledge. That's exactly right. It's not right. a donation. A donation is where you give something in good faith and you aren't getting anything in return. Well, you are getting something in return for this. So That's exactly right. Which adds to the value of the whole thing too. That's for me. There are some incredible rewards on this project. There are. I mean, there are There are two. I will say that there are two tiers that you can don't, oh, sorry, pledge to where you don't get a copy of the film, which is the $5 and $15 tiers. Uh, you do get things for that, though. You get your name and thanks on uh, the film website, $15 tier. You actually get a picture of yourself um, in, a, in a Vincent video costume of yourself behind a throne of you of your choice and it will be published with a thank you on the website. Not quite sure what all of that means, but <laughs> that's uh, in the uh, in the offerings there as well. But it's on the $25 and above tier that you actually get a digital download version of the documentary when it comes out. And that's how much money you'd pay anyway to get a Michael Jackson uh, documentary. That's really, I mean, if you were to go and buy a bad 25, you know, wherever, or, or this is it or whatever, you'd be paying around that amount of money anyway. So it's more or less just a... Uh, you know, a pre-order for that item. Exactly. Uh, okay, so next bit of information, next bit of news from the last fortnight in the Michael Jackson world. Uh, a particular person called Con or K-O-N uh, on SoundCloud has actually released uh, a remix of Human Nature, but there's something special about this particular remix. It's not just any old remix of Human Nature, uh, the Michael Jackson song. It's actually got never-before-heard studio vocals from the Thriller sessions 
mixed in with the rest of the audio on this track. Now, I've had a listen to it. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of remixes in general. I think they're fun. I think they're enjoyable to listen to. But I, as I've said many times in the past on this show, I am a fan of uh, Michael's work in its original state, authentically Michael. Nevertheless, this was a lot of fun to listen to, and it was also great to listen to some of these never-before-heard ad-libs and snippets from the studio session. Um, I just My only wish is that I could have heard them without all of the remix music in there as well, but still very, very interesting. Damien, have you had a chance to listen to it? Uh, I think I heard it on SoundCloud the same way you did once. I haven't gone back to it and listened again, Yeah, but obviously it's always interesting to hear different takes on different things and different parts that weren't included in the final version, but yeah, I don't really have too much to say about it other than that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because we, I mean, obviously now that Michael's passed, there are things that come out every once in a while that leak from studio sessions. And this is one of those occasions. This is something that clearly Michael did not intend the world to hear, but yet it's out there for the fans to engage with. And it really makes you think, you know, and this is something we'll probably get to a little bit later in the show when we get to the fan interaction section, but it really makes you think about, you know, how to feel about engaging with this material. Mm. Yeah, well, like you said, we will be be going there. We have have had a question from a fan who wants to hear us talk about unreleased music and that kind of thing, so probably best left until later in the show. Yeah, we can save that up. But nevertheless, if if you want to engage with it and hear... Uh, Human Nature remixed by Con on SoundCloud with unheard or previously unheard studio vocals from the Thriller Sessions, please follow the link in the show notes and you will be able to check that out. We'd love to hear your thoughts as well. So make sure you tweet us or, or leave us a comment on Facebook about what you thought of that remix. Uh, another piece of news, and this is our final bit of news actually before we get to Oh no, sorry, we've got a Oh yeah, before we get to our major discussion topic of of the show, uh, YouTube user 1710 Barton, so 1710 Barton has uploaded footage of Michael Jackson performing a song. Uh now this is a performance that had previously been unseen but is now out for public viewing on YouTube. It's Don't Stop Till You Get Enough in full at a Bay Area nightclub in 1979. Now, I've had a chance to see this uh, see this video, and i, I got to say, like, don't go into it, in my opinion, don't go into watching it thinking you're going to see a full-blown Michael Jackson performance because you will be left disappointed. You're not going to be watching a Triumph Tour-quality uh, <laughs> rendition here. This is something that's a little bit impromptu. Uh, interestingly, the user, the YouTube user, left a comment on their own video illuminating uh, the public a little bit as to where this footage came from, and they said, my uncle had it on a VHS tape. He said it was in 1980 that he recorded it from a local Bay Area music show. I think it was a club in Oakland. And then uh, a user on the MJ Archives on Facebook uh, called Rachel... Hudas or Rachel Hodas or something like that said it's from the same time as a Soul Beat interview in the Oakland, California's Soul Beat television studios. Uh, and you can see Michael Jackson in the same club actually at the end of that video footage signing autographs uh, at the end of the 
at the end of the video. So I think it's it's pretty clear where and when this footage uh, is from. We've kind of established that as a community at this point. But the jury's still a little bit out, I think, on whether this is <laughs> uh, the, the quality of the performance. Now, Damien, you've seen this, haven't you? I've seen it, yep, absolutely. And what were your initial thoughts when you when you saw the video? Oh, well, it's just a matter. Of, it's just a kind of a victim of circumstance. It's from 1979. It's for someone to have had a video camera and be able to capture anything in 1979 is uh, we're lucky to have it. Um, it's a public performance. I've got no issue with it being shared around the, the world. Michael was out there in public doing this, so he clearly was didn't have a problem with people seeing it. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's it's interesting to have a visual component now to something that. Um, happened all of those years ago. Um, so it's and it's not a, it's not exactly a, a surprise performance or a performance that we didn't know that Michael had done uh, at all. I believe that um, if it's if I'm not mistaken, um, Chris Cadman's book The Maestro actually documents this performance. Um, so credit to Chris, who's an incredible archivist who has, you know basically a limitless vault of Michael Jackson news clippings and, and information about the work that he's done over the course of his entire career. His book, The Maestro, just a shout out to Chris, is absolutely phenomenal and it's basically the encyclopedia of Michael Jackson's career. Um, I would encourage any fan to check it out. Well, we'll definitely um, put that. Uh, we, we've promoted it before, but we'll definitely put a link to The Maestro in the show notes again because, as you say, it's an incredible book. Both... Yeah, both, both uh, uh, editions. No, I wouldn't really call it editions. There's kind of like volumes is the word I'm looking for, both volumes. Mm. It's the maestro, but it's so big and it's so um, vast in its content that it had to be split over two different volumes because yeah. I don't really think there are any human beings strong enough to lift both of them together <laughs> at once. If they were one book, it would, I think they're about 750 pages each, so 1,500 pages total. Very, very, very impressive. So, But yeah, Chris, Chris covered that performance in that book, I believe. And um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see it. I mean, I don't think the performance itself that we're talking about here really don't stop till you get enough from the Bay area of 1979. I don't think it's necessarily something that Michael planned. It kind of <laughs> looks like something he was, uh, he was thrown into the deep end um, yeah. with and just ba- basically made to kind of um, do it on the spot. Uh, but He's got a smile on his face and he's dancing around. He seems to be having a good time and the crowd is certainly enjoying what he's doing. So, yeah, interesting clip. I'm glad we've got it. It was, it was fun to watch. Um, it's not earth-shattering, but it's nice. Yeah, I mean, it definitely strikes me as being impromptu. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> cannot, I cannot imagine a scenario in which Michael Jackson will have sweated and planned and created well, he this. he said that those were the things, those were the moments that he... That were the reason he didn't go to clubs because, you know, he's quoted on numerous occasions by saying, you know, he'll turn up, he'll go in, they'll recognize him. And instead of him being able to kind of, you know, blend into the crowd and just have a nice time and let his hair down and dance, it'll be the Michael Jackson show and his music will be on and they'll be dragging him up on stage and he'll be, you know, made to be the entertainment for the night when he wanted to be there to be entertained. Um, so in that sense, um, you are definitely right with being impromptu, and and I think that uh, yeah, it's just, he had expressed that he didn't like that kind of that yeah. pressure that was put on him just because he was who he was, that he wasn't entitled to be able to 
have a leisurely night out at a club. It, it wasn't that people didn't want him to have that. It's just that they wanted him to do his performance more. Uh, and that's the selfish nature of human beings in general, um, the way they will kind of demand something of someone because they want it, whether or not it's what that person in particular wants themselves. So Absolutely. Um, if anything, this is a great reference point for fans i think just to have there to fill out that particular era of off the wall it's a great little video to watch and enjoy as damien said michael's enjoying himself he does pull out a couple of great moves there's a there's a great moment in don't stop till you get enough where michael does a spin i think it's in the last third of the song and the crowd goes wild so uh definitely check out the uh the footage of michael performing don't stop till you get enough uh, at a Bay Area nightclub in 1979. Just follow the YouTube link in the show notes and you'll be able to see it. Well, that's our final news item uh, for this episode of the MJ Cast. Now we're going to get straight into our major discussion topic, which is all around uh, a doc- another documentary. This time it's actually uh, been released. It's come out already. It's come out recently, only just within the last few weeks. It's something that took me by surprise. I was not expecting this documentary to come out at all, um, but it just kind of, um, you know, landed. And it was, uh, it's an official estate uh, product in collaboration with Cirque du Soleil. Uh, and it's a documentary feature-length film uh, on the Immortal World Tour. Now, if you've seen Bad 25, you'll probably uh, recognize the format, I guess you could say, of this documentary. There's a lot of... Uh, talking heads in the documentary mixed in with a lot of footage of the actual subject of the documentary, which is the uh, the Immortal World Tour. Uh, and then, of course, surprisingly, there is quite a bit of original Michael Jackson footage uh, interspersed throughout the documentary where necessary uh, for the narrative. Now, I've seen this documentary. It's available on Vimeo. It's, it's an extremely, extremely limited release, and I would actually suggest it's quite a strange release because uh, in my opinion it's it's a documentary that's got the potential to do you know relatively well uh, but it it has been for one reason or another I'm not sure why but for one reason or another this release has been very limited to the point where you can only get it on one platform uh, Vimeo on demand uh, it's quite an ex- expensive um, purchase as well for a digital only uh, documentary. You're not getting a physical copy for it. Uh, but nevertheless, once you purchase it on Vimeo, it is yours to watch and uh, feature-length documentary. Now, I've seen it. Damien's seen it. Uh, we might kick things off with uh, Damien's thoughts on the uh, on the film. Well, it's a, it's a very well-put-together documentary. It certainly covers all aspects of the Cirque du Soleil show, um, and it definitely does a commendable job of showing some retrospective moments of Michael Jackson's career. It doesn't focus wholly and solely on the Cirque du Soleil show, which I think is important because I think the most engaging parts of the documentary are when it does do the retrospective kind of flashbacks to Michael Jackson's career. Those are the moments where I'm really engaged and I'm really interested and I'm paying attention. Um, The moments where it's actually talking about the Cirque du Soleil show itself, I mean... It's a matter of opinion whether you find those things interesting. Personally, I don't, um, but that's just me. Um, what do you think about it, Jamin? Oh, I it's it's I've, I'm not sure how to really put it in words, other than that. 
like I've got to separate my opinion on this this product because on the one hand I actually think it's a fairly well put together documentary not five stars by any mean means but uh, I'd, I'd say you know four star documentary it's it's quite good it does a good job of documenting all areas of the immortal world tour in terms of uh, the you know the acrobatics the uh, you know the performers the music the rehearsals the you see uh, footage of Kevin Antunes, you know, engaging with and talking about the vocal master tracks of Michael Jackson's material that from Sony. You see, uh, you know, people like uh, Jonathan uh, Moffat, the drummer, Michael Jackson's drummer, talking about his engagement in the show. And uh, there's there's Greg Fillengains talking all about Michael and and his opinion about the music. It's just it's very rich. There's a lot of detail, um, and it's and it's kind of like it did improve, I think, in some ways on one of my major problems with Bad Twenty Five, which was an over reliance on Talking Heads. Now, I think the Immortal this this Immortal World Tour documentary does have a lot of Talking Heads, but it's so full of performance footage from the show that I feel like it's actually got a much better balance between performance and, or subject rather, and then the talking heads uh, than Bad 25 did. So in terms of a documentary, I think it's pretty good. In terms of the content, I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to come, I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm not a huge fan of Cirque du Soleil's work uh, with Michael Jackson and like, sorry, with Michael's estate. I'm just, I'm just not like, I, I have an appreciation for acrobatics and Cirque du Soleil and their and their their medium and what they do in general, but as a Michael Jackson fan, I don't watch Cirque material. I don't listen to the Cirque material and actually get excited. I don't get those goosebump moments like I do when I listen to Michael's actual music or see his actual performances. I don't know. Did, did I say that clearly? Is that clear or I don't know? Yeah, I agree one hundred percent with you. Um... For me, I almost had to like raise my attention when the Cirque du Soleil moments were being shown to us because, like you, I don't, I'm not really a big fan of the Cirque du Soleil thing. Um, like they say in this doc, in this documentary, though, usually a Cirque du Soleil show, a real true artistic Cirque du Soleil show, will take three years to put together. Mm. And they admit that they they basically rushed this thing. Um, the Cirque du Soleil show that they took on tour uh, took them a year to put together. That's right. And, I think I think Jamie King says that. He says, usually it takes three yeah. years. We did it in one. And I think it shows. I think it's yeah. very evident that, that this thing did not have um, the amount of time and care put into it that it should have. And one of the most you know obvious, um, one of the most obvious pieces of evidence of that is the this big, you know, wishing tree inspired by the, the tree that Michael had at Neverland, the giving tree. The giving tree, yeah. yeah. The giving tree, sorry, um, that Michael had at Neverland um, is kind of recreated in the show, but the, the, the tree didn't actually go on tour for a lot of the tour because it didn't even work. Yeah, I really find it difficult to engage with the Cirque du Soleil stuff. I just don't feel there's any Michael in it. Um, it's basically like this big, gigantic circus production with, you know, based around this performer who's not there to give his performance. And the only thing you really go to the show for, or I shouldn't say that, the only thing I personally, as me, would go to the show for is to see the performer. And he's so absent from the show, it just makes me makes me miss him and it makes me feel like 
I was being denied something. Yeah, um, that's right. And with the documentary, which is obviously the, the topic of conversation, we're not here to critique the Cirque du Soleil show itself, but this documentary, you know, the most exciting parts was either listening to Greg Fillingaines and Jonathan Moffat and these kind of people giving their like personal insights to the real Michael Jackson and you know the creative process and the man, the man, the magic and the moment of him being there and doing things, or when it flashes back to footage of Michael. And there's, there's a couple of moments that really stood out to me that I yeah. really loved was there was some footage of Michael in a 1972 with the Jackson Five performing. And it's like, wow, like it's a breath of fresh air into this documentary. Yeah, like, here's absolutely. Michael, he's here, he's singing, he's dancing, he's, you know, he's calling out to the audience and he's just this little kid, but he's just totally taken the documentary to a whole other level just by his presence. And then it goes back to the, to the you know, the, the cast and the crew and the show and the footage and the talking heads. And then they'll go into another retrospective moment and it's Motown 25 and there's Michael walking across the stage after finishing his set with his brothers and talking about, loving the old songs, but what he also loves is the new songs. And moments like that, authentic Michael Jackson moments, and that Motown 25 moment in particular, they make me cry every time I see them. I can't help but become overwhelmed by just the, the sheer um, importance of those moments in Michael's career. Um, and for me, they're moments that I've seen a hundred times before, a thousand times before. Yeah, we've been watching these things our whole lives. These are why we are Michael Jackson fans. Yeah, and I think that is the the most exciting part about the documentary. And I, I'm not too sure if that means that the documentary is good or if they've just happened to, by consequence of it being about Michael, they've got good footage in it of Michael. So well, yeah, and I don't I don't mean to critique and be negative and say you know the documentary is no good unless it's footage of Michael or Michael's collaborators, but. I mean, but that's how I feel. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't interested in seeing the people flying through the air and the, you know, the the rehearsals, and I just didn't, I didn't yeah. feel much Michael in there. Even in the moments where they're, you know, Jamie King's rallying the troops and talking about the inspiration behind the, the show and talking about the, what they want to try and execute and the reasons they're trying to do it, I still didn't feel. Uh, it just Michael, yeah. like he was so so absent from the whole thing, uh, and 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 I and I haven't seen the the Immortal tour, um, even though it did come to Australia. I didn't choose to go and see it, just because it does. It's not at my alley. So yeah, um, I got to say, I think we're totally in line with this. Um, I do want to come back to the point though that I think it was even though the content of the documentary wasn't something that particularly interested either of us, I still think the quality of it was higher than things I've, I've seen before, uh, in, especially in terms of integrity. Like, I do want to very much mention that this documentary included people from Michael Jackson's family in really respectful ways. Like, Oh, yeah, that was the other thing that I thought was really fantastic, is hearing from the brothers and the family, was, that was really, really great. The brothers are fantastic. They're really always great to hear from and great to see. Yeah, and um, they had they had Catherine there. They had like there was a large emphasis on Michael as a part of this, you know, musical royalty uh, of a family. You know, the Jacksons, and that was something that I thought was done really, really respectfully, really well. And another critique on Bad Twenty Five uh, was that I didn't feel that in that particular documentary. So I think the estate uh, is. Yeah improving 
um, over time in terms of its output with documentaries? Well, I would like to I like to raise the question, and I'm not sure if this is a relevant question because I don't I'm not asking it because I know the answer. I'm actually asking because I don't know the answer um, when the documentary was actually filmed and put together because I have a feeling that this thing was done before Bad 25, but I'm not 100% certain on that, so I'm not claiming it to be a fact, but I've got a feeling that this thing's been out for a little while um, and that there was a different, it was originally aired in a different language um, and a lot of the English-speaking fans haven't really paid much attention to it because the audio was kind of dubbed and yeah. and, and that kind of thing to, to present it in a different language, but I just have this feeling that this thing has been around for quite some time and I'm not sure if it is a progression on the estate's part or... Well, that's an interesting point. Uh, we have point. to find out the answer to that to, match, to find out if that point yeah. is valid. Yeah. I just, I just, I'm not 100% sure I wanted to bring it up yeah, I, think that's I, good, I just have a feeling. That's a good point. I, I will say that a lot of the footage is really old. Like I remember actually seeing footage from this documentary uh like a long time ago, right when the Cirque show was just starting to come out. Uh, this There's footage in there of, Kev, like I said, Kevin Anshins talking about the master tracks from Sony. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of this footage actually came out as um, short uh, shorts on the Cirque website or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, a lot of them have been floating around. Yeah. A lot of the footage of the actual show itself is taken from the pre-filmed kind of um, preview shows that they did before the audience was even there. Yeah. And, by the way, I've just reminded myself of another item is there were a lot of audience shots of people in the crowd watching this show. And to be honest, like when you see a Michael Jackson show, the audience is, you know, losing their mind. They're crying, they're screaming, they're out of their seats, they're going nuts. And these people in the immortal audience don't even really seem to be at times all that interested. And I'm not sure if that's me just completely reading it incorrectly but just by looking at it and judging what I'm seeing, they don't really seem to be all that engaged yeah. in the same way that, that I wasn't engaged watching it. So Yeah. And, you know, another thing that interested me about it, there's actually two more points that I want to make. Uh, one of them is about the director and their attempt to tie what was happening in the film with... Um, you know, or connect it, connect Cirque du Soleil to Michael Jackson during his lifetime. And I think they did, even though it was very, very brief, I think they actually did quite a good job of that. They actually have original footage of Michael visiting the Cirque du Soleil offices. Uh, and uh, it's it's good footage. It looks very crisp. It's footage I had never seen before. But I thought that was particularly well done. I mean, I'm all, as a historian, I'm all about original Michael Jackson material being represented uh, to contemporary audiences. So them them taking that original footage of Michael Jackson visiting the Cirque offices and putting that in a documentary about the Cirque show, I thought was was excellent. It was just very very brief. Um, and yeah, the, the... Uh, yeah, it was good to see. It was it was nice to see that put a lot of things in context to show that he was interested yeah. in Cirque du Soleil. And when I say that, I don't. I didn't feel Michael in the Cirque du Soleil show. I'm not saying that I didn't feel that Michael would want the Cirque du Soleil show. I just didn't don't feel it in this particular yeah. Yeah. version of Cirque du Soleil's interpretation of Michael Jackson. Uh, it's very clear. And as John Branker explains very well in the documentary, Michael loved Cirque du Soleil. They went together on numerous occasions. Um, so 
So yeah, totally in agreement with you about the the uh, the quality and the content of the of the production. Absolutely, uh, and and the very final point I wanted to make was about the video quality of some of that Michael Jackson footage in the show. Um, now, some of the footage that we'd seen that we have seen before was represented really poorly in the documentary. Mm-hmm. For example, mm-hmm. Smooth Criminal uh, was it looked terrible. It looked uh, faded uh, and and frankly ugly. It was terrible quality footage, whereas if you go and watch the Moonwalker Blu-ray, it's beautiful, HD, warm, crisp, high-definition footage. It's incredible. You've got to see it if you haven't. Uh, And that was just completely at odds with what I was watching in this new Cirque documentary. But on the other hand, I don't think I've ever seen the Dangerous uh, Tour look so good as I saw the footage of it in the... um, in the Cirque documentary, and that's that's the sh- you know that that's the tour they borrowed most heavily from, uh, in terms of using live Michael Jackson footage in in the documentary. It's interspersed pretty much throughout the whole thing, uh, and and yeah, it, it doesn't look complete. It doesn't look you know you're not going to watch it and go wow that's like Blu-ray high definition quality, but I definitely think the coloring of the footage is much better than what came out on the Ultimate Collection. Uh, DVD of Dangerous Bucharest. So just another reference point there for fans that are interested in video quality uh, of Michael Jackson. Yeah, I can't really comment on that because I watched it in a low definition because here in Australia, our internet connections aren't the best. (laughs) So I never watch anything in high definition because it just doesn't load. Yeah. I wouldn't know the difference. No, I loaded it up in in 1080p. HD and then put it on my on my um you know HD TV as well and watched it in 60 inch HD and it looked really good like I mean the, obviously the footage of the actual show Cirque show and all the interviews were crisp and beautiful but the um yeah the the dangerous tour if if somebody if anybody out there has seen the Cirque documentary and knows about video quality uh, I'd love it if you could comment on um you know on the MJ Cast's Facebook or send us a tweet and or an email at the mjcast at iCloud.com and just let us know what you thought of that that video quality or even just the the documentary in general. We'd love to hear what you guys thought of it. So that's uh yeah, did you did you have anything more to say really about the documentary or um no not really. Like like we've already established it was it was well put together and I think they can take um take the format that they use and apply it to other other things, yeah. things that are all authentic Michael. If they use that same format for a, a documentary about the history era or something like that, I mean, you're replacing all of the footage of the Cirque du Soleil production with footage of a real Michael Jackson production and real Michael Jackson moments. Yeah. I think you've got a winner on your hands. So as long as they don't do the section with uh, Michael's death in every single oh. documentary... Um, it's just not necessary. It does not belong. Michael's legacy and Michael's artistry, we can't keep connecting it with his death. Um, we can't keep having that moment where everyone tears up and talks about it being the worst day of their life. Obviously, it was the worst day of our, all, all of our lives. We, we all love Michael and none of us want him to have passed away. But unless we stop mentioning that moment, it's... <laughs> It's not going to, people aren't going to be able to like fully like have this positive feeling coming out of this thing when at the, you know, in the, the last quarter, we revert to the where were you and how did you feel when he died? It's, it's not relevant to the project. It's not relevant to any of these things. They did it in Bad 25. 
was completely irrelevant in Bad 25. Um, totally kind of took the thing down from possibly being a five-star documentary to being a four-star documentary um, for me. Um, and, yeah, that's my only critique of oh, these kinds of things. I agree. You don't need to have that moment. I agree. It totally pulls you out of the um, the reality of the documentary. It, it just it's like it lurches you out of it and thrusts you right back into June 25, 2009 and all the terrible feelings that came with that day. And it's just like I was having a great time watching this documentary and now I'm reliving the worst day in my life. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would have relevance in particular contexts or particular documentaries, but definitely not uh, project-specific documentaries. That... Oh, yeah, like a, bi- like a biographical documentary about Michael's life, sure, yeah. because that's from birth to death and then and then posthumous legacy included if you want to go that far. Yeah. But 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 no, not about one particular targeted project and every single project having these the same moment in them. It's just Yeah. It's like a, when we when we get the off the wall documentary, are they going to talk about Michael's death in that one too? I like, I certainly hope not. I so I mean if they were doing like uh, if they were doing a documentary about like, say somebody made a documentary about why Michael Jackson died. Like, that'd be a really good documentary. That'd be excellent. It'd be like an expose. We'd be talking all about AEG and, um, you know, and Conrad Murray and all the different reasons why Michael was in a position where he was vulnerable to these people. And I think it'd be a great documentary and it would be relevant in something like that. But please, not in a documentary about what was going on in 1979. No. <laughs> Spike Lee, if you're listening, please. <laughs> um, great. So, look, I mean, if you're a fan of... Uh, I'm not going to say if you're a fan of Michael Jackson, definitely go out and get the Cirque documentary. But if you are a fan of Cirque du Soleil and if you are a fan of the Immortal World Tour and Michael Jackson, then go grab it because you are going to love this thing. But, uh, yeah, if you're purely just a fan of Michael and the work that he put out uh, in his lifetime, then, uh, yeah, you might want to... Uh, think about renting it or something like that in some other way if you can find it. So, finds of the week. Uh, I might kick things off uh, with finds of the week. I've got I've got one that I think people are really going to love. Uh, I mentioned earlier about the Detroit Mosaic Youth Center concerts that happened, obviously, in Detroit uh, around a month ago on March 7th and March 8th. Now, uh, unfortunately, I don't have any audio of the actual shows taking place. I'm not sure. I, I have spoken to the creative director uh, and uh, Rick Sperling, and he's actually said that they were filmed. The concerts were filmed for reference footage for the, uh, for the, for the artists, but not, not so much for public release. So I don't have a copy of the, of the show, uh, but I do have audio from some of the rehearsals that took place leading up to the show. And by far, out of all the pieces that I've listened to, uh, my favorite would have to be a choral rendition of Human Nature that I would love to play for you guys now. Across the night, and I know the city 
Okay, so that's a, a version of Human Nature by the Detroit Mosaic Youth Theatre. Absolutely beautiful. I, I just love it. I love how raw it is. It, it's incredible watching the film footage of that as well. That's not just audio. We'll put a link to the YouTube video in the show notes. But you can just see it, the emotion in the in the performers' faces and how, um, you know, just intense they are in, in terms of doing the song. It's it's 
mind-blowing and, and i guess it goes kind of back to what we were talking about earlier damien and like i can i can sit and watch a cirque thing all day and i don't know why i i know that it's amazing and i know these ac- acrobats are doing this brilliant thing that i could never hope to ever do um but i just you know when i watch something like this i just feel um just this intensity and just authentic michael soul i think it's probably got to do with in- intimacy because these circle performers they're on a stage in front yeah. of you know, 20,000 people and there's there's no intimate connection between any of them and the audience yeah um like in Cirque du Soleil like you know they don't care about us for example is one of michael's most intimate powerful messages to the people um and when he does it either in a music video or on the history tour for example you can you can see the anguish and the pain in his face um this message is not a happy one but it's something that needs to be told and you can physically see it emanating from his soul and you can see the sweat dripping and you can see the the power behind what he's talking about and then when you see the Cirque du Soleil performance of the same song they don't care about us you've got these things that look like giant flies like bugs that are supposed to be some kind of like soldier army kind of space people I have no idea what they're supposed to be well I don't know either um, I mean especially they've got question marks on their chests so I don't, so know they what don't even means. know what they're supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> no but seriously like um you know there's absolutely no human forget the fact that there's no human connection there is no connection at all other than michael's vocal which is blasting through the um the stadium to a to a music track that he didn't necessarily produce um so it's it's i mean there's no human to human connection with dr soleil whereas an intimate tribute where the people are literally pouring their all into every element of what you're getting i think that's probably why you can feel a certain way about that, but not about the Cirque du Soleil stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That's just my analysis of it. I mean, it could be completely off the mark or it could differ from person to person. And it's, I'm not saying that's definitely why, but that's that's what I feel. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And um, just to return it back to that Detroit Mosaic Youth Theatre rehearsal, if you want to have, um, you know, if you want to engage with Michael's work in a you know in a way where you can really feel the the soul of his work, um, you know especially with modern vocal performers doing it, you have got to check out this video, check out the song, follow the YouTube link, and and actually watch it. It's incredible. So, Damien, what's your find of the week? My find of the week is something called MJ One Hundred and One. Uh, it's nothing new, um, but it is definitely something that all Michael Jackson fans should check out. Now, I don't know if he's going to be angry at me for mentioning his name, but um, I do feel credit where credit is due. Uh, a fellow named Andy Healy um, put this project together. Um, and basically what MJ101 is, um, is a, it's, a, it's a free online digital book that details Andy's favorite 101 Michael Jackson songs. Um, and it's all based on Andy's personal opinion and interpretation of these songs and how he feels about them. Um, and why I feel it's valuable for fans is um, it's a great discussion starter. It's a great kind of thought provoker. You can literally sit down with another MJ fan friend and you can open this 
this beautifully presented, it's immaculately presented with these amazing pictures, um, just so wonderfully presented, um, this PDF, and you can just literally flick through it for hours and hours. And he gives, um, he gives the, order, the, the songs in order and he talks a little bit about the songs. Um, and I just think it's wonderful. Uh, for example, I read it um, last year when I was on a flight from uh, Los Angeles to New York, which I think it's about a five-hour flight. Um, and the book entertained me for the entire time. I was with a friend of mine, James, who's the collaborative partner of mine on the Escape Origins project. And uh, we were sitting there and we were, we were arguing and we were saying we agreed with things and we didn't agree with things. And it's, it's got nothing to do with whether his list is right or wrong. It's just... Um, I think it's really interesting to and to to you know tap into that and and find out what how you rate Michael's music. Oh, well, Andy's got this song at you know number seven, but I wouldn't even have that in my top fifty. <laughs> and then you start like going back and forth and really like getting to the to the um, like the DNA of the songs and like breaking them down and you start talking about why one should be uh, more critically acclaimed than the other and why something kind of appeals to you personally when the other song might not and it's just so interesting and we had an absolute blast with it. And I think any Michael Jackson fan who reads this thing is going to find some value in there, even if it's just to look at the absolutely beautiful pictures and presentation that he's come up with. Um, it's so interesting. And the fact that it's free, all you have to do to get a copy of this thing is to go to the, uh, the mj101.squarespace.com website and you pay with a tweet or a Facebook post. It's such a great idea because it helps spread the word. It's an amazing product. Um, it's free. It's made with love. It's made by a fan for the fans. Um, and I think it's definitely worth checking out. Um, there are also a couple of other editions and still editions to, to be done in the future as well. He's, um, he's also done uh, an edition on the short films and one on remixes as well. So there's not just that, not just the 101 best MJ songs, but there's also the one on the remixes and the one on the, on the films. So mm. plenty of material to go through. If you're ever in the car or on the train or on a plane or just got some spare time at home or it's just a really interesting thing to tap into. And yeah, definitely. I, I, was, agree. I was thrilled. I had a blast. Have you seen it, James? Yeah, I've seen it. And I, I, I would recommend it to anyone as well. Like the, what I love most about it is just the level of quality and detail around the presentation. Like you said, like the images in it, he's, he's sourced, you know, high, high resolution images where possible to use. So when you're engaging with the MJ 101 series, uh, make sure you do it on, uh, you know, like a device that has a really great display. So you might want to use, you know, one of the latest iPads or we used an iPad and it was perfect. Yeah. If you're using an iPad, it's just the same. Like if you've bought, uh, a book from iBooks or Kindle. Uh, all you do is you download the PDF, you just load it up straight on your iPad, flip through it, and not only is it great information, it's, it looks incredible. And you're seeing all these amazing pictures, um, you know, about the things that you're reading. So it's it's so good. Check it out. Um, I couldn't recommend it any more than what Damien is because it's it's just so good. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, we'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. So. And I'm so sorry, Andy, if you didn't want me mentioning your name, but I didn't know how 
how else do you present this product? You're talking about it and you want to know who, who created it. Well, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a scoop on the MJ cast. Andy Healy has written MJ 101, if people didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's hating us. Every time we mention his name, he's hating us more and more. He's a very, very, very humble guy. He doesn't want any accolades himself. He just wants to do a really good quality product for MJ fans to enjoy, which he's done. Um, and yeah, we can't thank him enough because it's just the more of this kind of stuff that's out there in the fan community for people to pick up and, and flick through. And, and also with MJ 101, if you're a brand new fan to Michael Jackson, who knows, you know, next to nothing about him, it's educational because you're introducing yourself to 101 new song titles that you've never, you may have never heard before. That's right. Um, and you're learning a little bit about each of the songs as well, which is also handy. Um, and so it's, it's, it's useful for brand new fans. You don't have to be a Michael Jackson expert to enjoy this project. Um, but if you are, it's just as enjoyable because you're critiquing, you're disagreeing, you're theorizing, you're saying what you would do instead of what Andy's done. Um, and yeah, all round incredible project. Sorry to keep going on about it. <laughs> no, no, no. You just made me think about something actually. Um, it's impo- I think it's important for us to remember uh, as the MJ cast that like, not everybody that's listening to this show is a fan that may that may have been a fan for like ten years or more. There's I've actually received a lot of emails from people who are new fans that are just starting to engage with Michael Jackson, and uh, you know, I you know we obviously Damien became fans roughly at the same time, and you know we've obviously now been fans for you know a bit over a decade, so you know fourteen fifteen years or whatever it is, but there's you know and there's people that have been fans even way longer than that, like forty years. But there's people out there that have only just started engaging with Michael Jackson through maybe buying the Escape album or seeing the Cirque show. Maybe somebody got taken to the Cirque show by a family member or something and saw Michael that way and then now are getting into him. So these these kind of books, like your book, Escape Origins, um, what Andy's done with the 101 Project, uh, what Joe Vogel did with Man in the Music, all of these these products are amazing as ref and you know, and the Maestro as well by Chris Cadman. These are all great reference points for fans coming into being a, to to learning about Michael. Absolutely, completely agree with you. We're going to move on now to the fan interaction section of the show. This is our our final segment, and it's where we kind of uh, you know make mention of fans that have contacted us throughout the week, uh, and then also talk about some of those topics that that they'd like us to discuss. Now, first of all, uh, I want to say thanks a lot to Anil Sai, Marnie Cochran, uh, Simon Caruana, Juan uh, Carlos Alvarez. Q is so much better than the pronunciation than me. I'm horrible at this. Uh, Sean Vizina, Austin Ernst, uh, Evan Young, and Kevin Backman. Uh, I just want to thank all those people for reaching out to us over the past couple of weeks, talking to us, and, and whether it's by email or, or Twitter or Facebook. Really appreciate it. Billy Seven Jean on Instagram, the Dre Taylor Show on Instagram. Uh, just want to say thank you so much for, for reaching out as well. We love as much interaction with fans as we can get. Now, we've had this one particular fan who emailed us by the name of Rashan Padayachi. And Rashan comes from South Africa. And he's, he sent us an email actually wanting us to, to talk about two very particular topics. And uh, Rashan actually was somebody who went, he's actually seen Michael Jackson live. He saw uh, the history tour in 1996 uh, I think in Durban in, in South Africa. 
And uh, he sent us through these these two comments, and uh, I think we should respond to each one of them kind of individually. Uh, and interestingly, yesterday when I put out on Facebook and Twitter for, for our listeners to kind of uh, talk to us about what topics they wanted us to discuss, most of the topics that people responded with were exactly what... Um, uh, Rushan has already wanted us to anyway. So we're going to be covering a lot of uh, common topics here that people want us to talk about. And and Rushan's first one is this. He says, firstly, I have been a bit disappointed with the quality of the songs uh, that have been released by the estate so far. Yes, there have been some gems, but nothing that you could say would be a huge hit. I feel they uh, they either don't have access to the stuff he, being Michael Jackson, recorded post-2003, or they are holding out on us. Now, this is a pretty big topic, and uh, it's something I'm really, I'm really excited to discuss with you, Damien, because obviously more than uh, most people, you, you actually know a lot about um, Michael's work, uh, particularly in the later stages of his, of his career. So uh, what, what are your thoughts in particular around... Uh, you know, Michael's work, uh, how it's been released uh, posthumously, uh, and the distinct lack of material from Invincible onwards. Um, it's an interesting topic. Like you said, it's it's a very vast topic. We could almost probably do a whole show about this particular subject, and I don't want to drag on too much. Um, to answer the one of the, the, the subjects that... Um, Rashan raised, which is nothing has been a hit or been good enough to be a hit. Well, statistically and factually, that's not necessarily true. Love Never Felt So Good was a huge hit. It was actually Michael's biggest hit in over a decade, um, if you could call it Michael's hit. Um, so, I mean, there you have proof that there is material that is going to be good enough or appealing enough to the general public to be a hit. Um, as, as to, like, the quality of the material, I mean, the material that the estate are putting out, which I don't necessarily feel should even come out, um, but they're entitled to put out, they're well within their rights to do it. It's their decision, their prerogative, and, and you know, we just have to accept that as the reality. may may not be what we want but or what I want personally, but it's a fact. Um, we have to remember that these aren't, A, these aren't new songs. Michael isn't alive right now. He's not a contemporary artist recording in the studio right now putting things together the way that he would want them presented in 2015. Um, the second thing is he released the music he wanted us to hear. So the hits that we have over his the course of his career are the songs that he gave to us. They And, and the ones that were released as singles that Michael put, you know, videos and promo behind, they're all hits. So, I mean, the songs that we're getting now are the ones that Michael didn't choose to give to us. Um, a lot of them were recorded in the same period that some of his biggest hits were, like, you know, from the bad sessions and the, and the dangerous sessions and things like that. Those albums produced big hits, but these are the songs that he didn't put on them. So I don't think it's necessarily the estate's fault or Michael's fault or anyone's fault that that in this listener's opinion isn't hit material because why should it be? Um all we can really judge Michael's career and his legacy and his hit, his hit power on is what he gave us in his life. And, I mean, he was the biggest, most famous, most popular, most successful 
recording artist in history. So, I mean, I think he's done his job. I think his legacy is sealed. I think his hit power and his material that he's put out through his life really is representative of of him. And anything that comes out as you know as an afterthought really shouldn't be judged in the same light. We shouldn't have the same expectations of that material to perform the way that it did when Michael was here, where Michael was alive to finish it the way he wanted it to be finished, A, and then to promote it the way he wanted to promote it. I mean, it's, it's, it's really not realistic for anybody to expect things to be as big as they were when Michael was alive and in his performing prime. It's just, it's unfair of us to, to have those expectations and almost, in my opinion, a little bit selfish for anybody to think that that we're entitled to have these things and for it to be presented a certain way and for it to, to succeed in certain people's versions of success, which is obviously sales and chart positions. Um, so I don't know if I've answered the question properly, if I've rambled on too much, but um, that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, I think you've answered it really well. I mean, I, I just want to echo what you're saying. And, and I think that... Um... Like anybody expecting, anybody, any Michael Jackson fan that is expecting Michael to have number one hits posthumously is probably going to be disappointed. And the reason for that is, like you said, Damien, it's not the material that Michael wanted to come out at all, let alone in 2015 and compete against these massive artists now. And secondly, it's uh he's not here to promote it he's not here to create an, a groundbreaking music video he's not here to perform, put on an incredible award show performance at the grammys or something it can't it can't cannot be promoted to the level that other massive artists are able to do because they're physically here so i think anybody going in wanting number one hits from michael jackson material from now on are unfortunately in my opinion probably going to be disappointed um so i mean yeah, I don't know if that's how you feel as well, Damien, but... Yeah, yeah, I do, I agree. I mean, if you want to listen to a number one hit from Michael Jackson, throw Billie Jean on. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying that in, a, in any kind of like derogatory way or trying to talk people down. I understand everybody has their own opinion and everyone yeah. is excited by different things and everyone has their own different opinion and definition of success and definition of a hit and... um. But yeah, I mean, if you want the true, authentic Michael Jackson hit material, it's already out there. We've already got it. It was already released before right. 2009, before Michael departed this earth. So, I think um, I think part of this comes back to as well. There seems to be a, like um, a large portion of the fan community, and I I used to I think be one of these people as well. But a lot of people actually think that you know, there's all of this you know magical amazing Michael Jackson material that he recorded after Invincible that we may still have not heard that's completed and number one hit worthy and brilliant. And the thing is that all during that period of time, the hard, the hard truth is that yes, Michael Jackson was working hard on music. It's true. He was, but he was also being a father and he was also fighting through the most difficult court battle of his life and recovering from that. So, I mean, I, to... and, and he was at odds with the record label that was supposed to be the people who would put this music out and promote it as well. So, yeah. I mean, you're really up against the odds when you take all those things into consideration. Yeah. I mean, you're, got, you're, you're a single father. You're not even just a father. You're, you're a single father. Um, and 
you're going through these, you know, the trials and tribulations of all different kinds. Um, and I mean, that period is also, Michael was litigated against so heavily. Um, how could you possibly be able to, you know, come with the creative output that you did in 1987 when you were the biggest, most loved, uh, most untouchable star in the world and had, you know, the entire planet at your feet? It's a totally different uh, environment to be working in. Creativity is spurred by your environment. That's um, right, and that his environment wasn't his environment wasn't conducive to creativity. Having said that, being the genius that he was and being the creative kind of source that he was, and being able to channel all of his frustrations and his tribulations into his art, those that period of time still did produce some really great unheard gems. But the level of completion is. Uh, is not quite what people are probably hoping it is. Um, because when Michael Jackson did an album, he would demo everything, whether it's just instrumentals or whatever he would put together. And then he would actually go and lock down in the studio to record it, record it all. You get the ideas, you come up with the good ideas, you get rid of the bad ideas, and then you, you decide which are the, the ideas that you're going to finish and put on the album. And those are the ones that we get. And he never got to that that stage. He never got to the to the final step, which is, okay, now I've got my 12 core songs or my 16 core songs, and now we're going to really perfect them. He never got to that stage. So all we've got is blueprints and drafts and demos and scraps and ideas through that period that never were able to fully come to fruition the way that Michael would have liked. So, and that, yeah, I mean... That's not, that's not to say those things aren't genius, though, as well. And I know... Oh, I'm, some of those things are absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean... Absolutely fascinating to hear but you can't expect them to be a hit when it doesn't have lyrics or it doesn't have a proper vocal or it doesn't have you know a second verse that's right it's and, just not a realistic expectation and and what my recommendation to fans would be um from here on in really is engage with the michael jackson music that we get um now and in the future that's that's unfinished in the same way that you would listen to something like in the back so that that's a demo um on the ultimate collection and one of my favorite michael jackson pieces and it's barely completed i mean like most of the the words in it most of the lyrics are uh not complete at all but it's got this incredible driving ba uh, baseline that's just uh brilliant and 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 you can still find a lot of enjoyment uh and and engagement in, in with Michael's unreleased uh, sorry um unfinished work but definitely in my opinion don't be going into it expecting things to be completed to the level that Michael Jackson would have put things out i think we've seen most of that material now but i mean damien you're you're the expert on this situation you you've got contacts you've got connections with a lot of people that worked with Michael Jackson you speak to Michael Prince you know you've spoken to Brad Buxer you've spoken to a lot of these people in order to put out you know escape origins and and different projects you're working on like in your opinion after hearing all of these things how much more music is actually there well, it depends again what type of what state you are going to referring to. Um, how many demos are there? Almost an unlimitless amount of demos. How many completed songs? Like you want to talk about like "Slave to the Rhythm" original version being a completed song that was done in the Dangerous Sessions, and now we're discovering it. Songs of, to that level of completion, you know, 
not all of that many. Um, over the course of his entire career, dating back into his like pre-off-the-wall era, there, there is a lot of stuff. But, I mean, I don't really think it's my place to talk about that stuff. It's, yeah. You know, maybe I'll talk about it if, it's, if it comes out. Um, but like I said, I don't even think it necessarily should come out and really isn't necessary to talk so much about it unless there's a relevant reason to, um, uh, you know, the songs on the escape album, which I wrote about, um, I didn't think that they should come out, but they did come out. It wasn't my decision to release them, but it was the estate's decision and they're entitled to do it and they put them out. Now we need to know all about them and where they come from and, now that they're on Michael's discography and part of his legacy, it's important to have the literature to learn about them. But yeah. the songs that aren't already in that same kind of class that aren't already out and that we haven't already heard and that aren't representative of, you know, Michael Jackson and people able to be judged by people. I don't really think we should, we need to talk so much about them as, as interesting as it is. Um, unless there's a reason to talk about them, let's, let's perhaps try and withdraw <laughs> a little bit from doing it. Well, I, I got to, Oh, I don't know. Like, the, I think it's the curiosity factor. Like, for me as a fan, I could not be more curious about, for example, the Will I Am work. Like, I couldn't be more curious. I I want to hear that stuff. And I I know what you're you you're saying though, and I think that's really important for us to respect that Michael Jackson had not completed the work. And it really, sh- in some ways, shouldn't be in our consciousness because it never really came out. But uh, I don't know. There's just a part of me that wants to wants to know know everything I can. <laughs> well, the, the, that's that's human nature. We want. We are curious. We want to know everything. Um, but that's also a selfish part of our personalities. And I think we really have to try and set the selfish thing. Like, yeah, that's going to serve us really well. You know, it's going to serve me, and it's going to serve you really well to hear these things and, and know all about them and it's going to be great. And we can't deny our ears are not going to deny the fact that some of these songs are just incredible to listen to. Finished or not, it's an incredible experience and it's just like, you know, Michael was a genius. How can these things not be great to listen to? But it's selfish of us to think we're entitled to hear it, selfish of us to think that the world is entitled to have it. And I just, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a really difficult thing because I'm not, I'm not saying that that the material is not good. Some of the material is incredible. I think some of the songs on the escape album are some of the highlights of Michael Jackson's career. Um, you know, I think he could have put a song like, do you know where your children are or um, love never felt so good. Had they been finished out and had huge success with them, but he didn't. So they have to be judged in a completely different way. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting point. Uh, let's move on to uh, what Rashan's second point is. And this is, Interestingly, if you read a lot of our fan interaction on Facebook, a lot of what other people wanted to talk wanted us to talk about as well, he says, Thirdly, I find it so hard to believe that the estate could not find good quality footage of the bad concerts. It is almost as if in the next few years they will say, We finally found HD quality bad concert footage when they had it all along, just for us to buy the same concert for the second time. And look, that's definitely an opinion that was echoed, um, you know, by Sil Mortilla uh, when he was on our on our show last last time on the last episode. And you know, it's it's I don't know. I just uh, I'm not sure exactly what I think about it yet. I definitely feel like uh, I 
I mean, I'm going to say it straight out. Like, I know, Damien, you've probably got the opinion that unreleased stuff should stay unreleased. Uh, in terms, well, you have to you have to judge each different item on its own merits. On its own merits. So, okay, a, so a concert a concert is different because a concert is something that Michael Jackson performed in a public arena. He invited to be seen. Yeah, yeah. eighty thousand people per night to come and see this thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, he wanted that to represent him as a performer, and those concerts were, you know. They're, they're public. How can, we can't necessarily make the same argument for the songs that he didn't choose to show us for the concerts because the concert from beginning to end, the moment he steps on stage to the moment he steps off, is something he invited us, the world, to come and see. So it needs to be viewed. Each individual thing needs to be judged on its own merits. Perhaps. Um, yeah, yeah. He did, but there are circumstances in his life where he did not want concerts to be released. That's true. So, you know, I, I feel... Well, he didn't choose to release them at that particular point. Yeah. You know, but he was still a living, active, performing artist who still had tours ahead of him. He didn't need to necessarily go back into retrospect and start presenting his material to the, to the world. Here's a tour I did 20 years ago because yeah, that's he still point. had tours to do ahead of him. Um, and I think when, when an artist retires and they're not actually actively performing anymore, providing the, the world with... New, new music or new performances, it's their own prerogative to say, okay, now I want to go and release this. And they can do it during their lives too. I mean, it's completely up to the artist. Um, but to say that Michael didn't want people to see the bad tour or the dangerous tour or whatever um, is, is not really a valid claim because he did, you know, hundreds of concerts and he invited tens of thousands of people to each of them. So Okay, so let's just suppose that Michael wanted these concerts to come out on home video. And I'm, you know, very much of the opinion that I think they should come out on home video because I think they're incredible things that the world needs to see. Um, the thing is, you know, um, Rashan's right. The concerts that have come out so far for fans to engage with, with the exception of this is it. And I wouldn't necessarily call that a concert. That was just a compilation of rehearsal footage. Um, but there has not been a Michael Jackson concert that has yet been officially released in high definition. That's a fact. We've, has anything Michael Jackson been released in high definition other than some portions of the This Is It um, movie and documentary? So there's bad, some a lot of the footage in the Bad 25 documentary film is in what I would call high definition. Oh, of course. Yes, um, of course. That's, that is completely correct. So a lot of that's come out. The This Is It rehearsals have come out in HD. Moonwalkers come out in HD. Um, but we have not actually got a start to finish Michael Jackson concert in HD. And mm. that, that bothers me because, first of all, Michael Jackson's, in my opinion, the greatest artist that's ever lived. He's the greatest performer that's ever lived. His concerts look spectacular. Uh, their visual statements. His dancing is incredible. We all know this, but it's not being represented properly. You know, we're not in the 90s anymore. We're not in the 2000s anymore, yet we're getting VHS and DVD quality stuff. And and I'm really feeling what um, Rashan's saying here, like as a fan, like I want Michael's work um, when it does come out to come out with as much authenticity and quality as possible, and I think it is absolutely incumbent upon the estate. It is their responsibility, in my opinion, to make sure that his stuff is presented in the best quality possible. So I'm very much hoping for whatever 
concert does come next, uh, whether it be the cinema or it's a home video, that we are presented it in the best quality possible for Michael, you know? It has to, yeah, I agree. It has to be. I don't think you should really. Michael Jackson's philosophy was perfection. You know, he wrote in his book Moonwalk that a perfectionist doesn't let something out to the world unless he or she has stewed on it and worked it over and reworked it over and got it to the point where it can't be any better than it is. You know, true utter perfection and flawlessness is not an attainable thing. But when you're aiming for it and you're not letting something go, until it's as close to that level as it can possibly be, you know you're going to do good work. And, um, you know, I, I, just, I just think that it's as simple as you've taken over Michael's estate, now follow his philosophies. And it's very clear that that's not been the case with the current estate. Um, whether or not it's because they don't have access to things that meet Michael's standards whether it's they don't have access to HD footage of the bad tour as opposed to VHS footage, I'm not willing to speculate on. Um, we know that the HD footage of the bad tour is out there. Do they have it? I'm not sure. Could they get it? Yes, they could. They have to ask the right questions and, and go through the right avenues to obtain it if they don't already have it. Um, but if they don't, I'm just simply of the opinion that it shouldn't come out. It shouldn't come out in any less than perfection yeah. any less than the best quality version of this thing version of this thing that they can they can do um and if you know if it's a concert if it's a song um i mean like i said i, I wouldn't have released the the songs on the escape album myself but since they were released give us the very best version of them um and that wasn't even done with the escape album so i can understand the the complaint or the kind of the the concern raised about, oh, they were giving us a VHS bad tour and, and are they going to pop up next year and say, oh, now we've got HD footage. Well, I'm not sure if that's a tact that they've taken or if that's, you know, a motive, but eventually we will get a, a HD bad tour. That's, you know, it's the reality of the situation. It's out there. I'm assuming over the course of Michael's career, which will go on for decades and centuries into the future, it's going to happen. Yeah, um, I just wouldn't put it out before it's able to be presented like that. So no VHS stuff for me. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and any and any and any music videos, short films um, that Michael has already released in his life, unless we're going to restore them to like a Blu-ray quality or at least the best quality that of the era that we're currently in. We're in the Blu-ray era right now, the HD era. Um, in years ahead, we might there may be a, a better thing than HD. Well, I would even ultra argue HD. That, I would even argue that we're out of the HD era. Like, I mean, if you go to you know your local electronics store now, uh, the the TVs that are being sold there are four K. You know, they're four four times the resolution of of high definition. It won't be long before we have a format that's able to display like um you know a HD blue uh, sorry and a UHD, ultra-high definition Blu-ray disc or something like that where we can actually watch this stuff on 4K televisions. Where... Yes, can I ask you a question about 4K? Yeah, James? sure. Does something have to actually be filmed in 4K for it to be presented in 4K? Uh, well, okay, so you've got... Because the thing is, remember, Michael's material was recorded between 
his, the start of his career and 2009, it's not possible to have captured anything in anything higher than high definition. Well, that's kind of true and kind of not. Like the thing is, if you're filming digitally, yes, that's true. So you might have a camera that's recording at 1080p or something like that. And then, yes, that's true. You, you, the, the actual camera will have not captured enough information to then convert it into a 4K video. However, a lot of Michael's stuff was not actually filmed using a digital process. It was filmed using good old-fashioned film. And in that case, you're not actually dealing with a digital format that's 1080p or 4K or anything like that. It's not measured as simply. So if you're actually watching, like for example, okay, if you go and watch the Moonwalker Blu-ray with all of that footage at the very start of uh, Michael performing performing Man in the Mirror um, during the second leg of the bad, bad Tour. Like, that stuff was all filmed using proper film. And I can't remember, like, all the specific terminology, like the millimeter of film it was it was recorded on. But I know... They use a combo of 16 and 35 mil. Yeah, something like that. It's mentioned on an article, actually, that I've got um, about... There's a guy who actually coloured all of the bad to a film. Put it in the show notes. Put it in the show notes. Um, and, uh, yeah, anyway, so that guy was talking about the bad tour being filmed on proper cinema-grade, you know, film. And uh, if you go and watch the Moonwalker Blu-ray, it is gorgeous. It's stunning. It's it's warm. It is uh, – the colour is brilliant. It is clear. It looks absolutely relevant on high-definition film. Uh, sorry, a high-definition um you know, television. And for me, I actually, in some ways, prefer proper film that has been converted converted over and mastered for high definition. It's, it's a little bit grainier, but it's got a really warm feel to it and it's really authentic. And I, it, yeah, so to answer your question, um, Michael's uh, work could absolutely be represented in 4K. It absolutely could. What it would take is the estate uh, properly archiving and um, like, first of all, actually sourcing all the original film of his projects, then uh, archiving it and then rescanning it uh, and then actually mastering it properly for, uh, you know, the format. And that's a really big job. So I can understand why the estate, um, you know, in six years may not have been able to do that yet because actually finding it, locating it all and then scanning it's a really, really big deal. Um, in saying that, I, I do want to mention, though, that if they were to ever go down the path of doing that, which I think they absolutely should, uh, filming and documenting the process of actually mastering all of Michael Jackson's footage would in itself make an incredible documentary. Like, if any if anybody out there is a fan of things like Star Trek and Star Wars, you, you will know that those Blu-rays have documentary, you know, features on them about the process of mastering the footage for it to come out for the fan community and those communities have massive amounts of fans that absolutely adore the intellectual property of the thing they're into and michael jackson fans in my opinion deserve no less and i think it also allows the estate and sony music and whoever else is in charge of putting these products out and stamping their name on them to defend the process that they've undertaken with the with whatever they're putting out. So if, if there's a making of documentary and fans want to critique the way the outcome of the of that um, footage, um, to have the to have the documentation to show the process that they went through to get to the end result, the best end result they could get to, would be kind of their their defence, I guess. Absolutely, um, yeah. And it would also be their undoing if they proved, they showed to us that they did, they took shortcuts and they didn't do it the right way, which is very apparent on 
previously released products like the vision dvds which mm. i mean i don't think they should have released those music videos without having done something really special with them um, couldn't agree in fact, more. a lot of them look worse than they ever have before and that was in the hd era so anyway yeah basically enough, enough critique enough critique but i think we're both in agreement on that i um I think a lot of the frustration that fans have with the estate and Sony music in general is that they have uh, relatively good ideas for products such as Vision. Great idea. Let's put all of Michael Jackson music videos in one compendium. Great idea. But the execution was horrible. And I think, uh, yeah. Apart from the packaging, which was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, actually. Oh, that's got that's got the lenticular. You, you turn it left and right. The packaging right. was beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the end of our fan interaction section. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much the end of our show too. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I've had, a, I've had a great time talking with you, Damien. Thank you so much for, for coming on the MJ cast. It's just another day, isn't it, really? We have these <laughs> phone calls and conversations every single day of our lives. Just, pretty much. We just press record on this one. <laughs> pretty much. I think that's where it all started. I remember, you know, three, three or four years ago talking with you on the phone about you know, the goings-on in the MJ world at the time and just thinking, if I could just hit record on this, this would make really, really good entertainment for the Michael fan world. So I just want to thank you very much for, for coming on the show. Um, I never would have felt like the MJ cast would have been complete unless we were here talking together. So I'm really, really happy. Oh, man, I'm so thrilled for you that it's come to fruition. It's a brilliant, brilliant product for the fan community to have. And it's only going to get bigger and better and stronger as it goes on. So... We can't wait to see where this thing ends up. Thank you. Now we've honoured to be here. Oh, thanks a lot. Now I do want to mention again to everybody listening that Damien's going to be back with us for our next episode. We're going to do an Escape Origins special. Uh, it's going to be, I'd say, at least an hour long. It's going to be a, a detailed discussion between myself, Damien Shields, and James La. Uh, and hopefully Q will be back as well by then from the States. I'm not sure exactly when he gets back, but when he does come back, we'll hopefully get him on. And uh, we're going to just, we're going to just totally, totally delve into the history of the Escape Origins project, where it came from, your thoughts about it, your writing process as an author, all of the different chapters. I'm going to do a proper review of the book. Uh, we're going to discuss some of those incredible quotes in the, uh, in the book. Um, about Michael's work straight from the people that actually worked with Michael Jackson. Uh, I've got a great one here by C.J. Davila, um, and it says, uh, this is actually in the chapter Blue Gangster, and Davila actually says, He may have been in his prime at that time, says Davila. Michael was 40 years old when he recorded Blue Gangster. His mental attitude combined with his physicality was at its height, in my opinion. The calisthenics he was pulling off, the highs and the lows, the loud and the quiet, and the way he worked, the microphone. I mean, I learned so much from Michael. It was ridiculous. Here I am recording him, and usually in the sessions I do, I'm running it, I'm producing it. And when I was in, the, in that chair, I felt totally uneducated. It felt educated when recording him. Sorry. I felt educated when recording him. The responsibility was enormous to me. His tone is insane, dude. Insane. It would be impossible not... Uh, sorry. It would be impossible not... <laughs> it would be impossible to not be able to mix his vocal correctly. And Michael was even good with his plosives. When you breathe and blow air on the microphone, those sizzles, you know, they F up a microphone. But Michael was in complete control of those things. 
Most singers are nowhere near his vicinity. Michael understood the process so well that when he would hear it himself in playback in the studio over the years, he found a way to get rid of those problems. Because when you go from the vocal booth back to the control room and listen, it's a different dynamic. The microphone sensitivity is different depending on how you hit it. And of course, Michael knew that. So I never heard a plosive or sizzles that were over the top. So that's just a little quote there from uh, Damien's Escape Origins project, a, a quote from CJ Devilla. Absolutely brilliant. You know, that stuff's priceless. You're never going to hear it anywhere else. This is, uh, you know, uh, Michael Jackson's uh, bassist, uh, bass player from Blue Gangster, actually talking specifically about the recording of that song. Uh, absolutely brilliant stuff. So make sure you go grab it at escapeorigins.com. Now, if you want to connect with the MJ cast, if you want to uh, find out all about us, the best place you can possibly go is themjcast.com. Uh, if you go to that website, you're going to be able to subscribe to our podcast straight from there. Uh, you can subscribe either in iTunes uh, or a podcast application of your choice. You can also stream the show directly on themjcast.com. Uh, which is one way that a lot of people like to engage with our show. Uh, however, if you'd prefer YouTube, you can also do that. Uh, if you just go to themjcast.com and follow the YouTube link right up at the top in the menu, it'll take you to YouTube. You can subscribe to us there and uh, hear us that way. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash themjcast and on Twitter at twitter.com slash themjcast or simply at themjcast. Uh, I'm going to leave you guys today with a uh, little bit of music. This is some outro music uh, for the show. It's by a group of people called the Piano Guys. Uh, they're a group that put out some incredibly uh, filmed YouTube videos uh, just of uh, songs that they've done cover versions of. Uh, this one's great because they're in incredible, they're in really good costumes. You'll be able to watch the, the video if you follow the show notes, but they're in these great uh, costumes from like the 1700s with elements of stuff from the 1970s in there as well. Uh, and they're doing a cover version of I Want You Back. Um, you know, there's some great, great instruments in there. We got piano, you've got a five stringed electric cello, uh, you got a, uh, kick drum, uh, all kinds of different things. The Baroque cello is incredible, uh, harpsichord. Uh, it's just a, this weird amalgamation of, of music from the 1770s mixed in with 1970s, uh, and I really hope you guys enjoy it. So thank you very much for listening to the MJ Cast episode four. Uh, we can't wait for our next episode, which is going to be an Escape Origin special. Uh, thank you very much, and keep Michaeling. There we go. That's a wrap. See if you can hear it on the recording at the end as you go. And thanks everybody, and that's a wrap. My cat goes. Ha, 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 ha.